Hello, and welcome to With the First Link, the podcast that hopes to make our future as bright and as just as the one that we see in Star Trek The Next Generation. And we think that starts by recapping and discussing the entire series one episode at a time, doing our best to look at it all through a lens of anti-oppression and pro-diversity. I'm Ruthie Cowper-Samoshi. And I'm Matthew Simone, and today we'll be talking about The Naked Now. This episode was written by DC Fontana and John D.F. Black, directed by Paul Lynch, and first aired on October 3rd, 1987. So, before we get into this episode, uh, we thought maybe it would be a good idea to talk a little bit about the title of our podcast, since we Mm -hmm. realized we haven't actually uh, said anything about it, and it's maybe a little bit obscure, Uh, maybe some of you big Star Trek fans know exactly what it is, but if you don't... Nerds. Yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> and But if you don't, that's that's okay too, but you might just be a little confused. So we wanted to uh, go into it just a little bit, not not in great detail. We don't want to spoil anything. Um, but so the, the phrase with the first link is part of a longer speech that comes up in season four, episode 21, The Drumhead, which is an episode that deals with the idea of liberty versus, I guess, surveillance or what's the word? Like a, hang on, don't kind of like, It's kind of how prejudice obscures justice. Yeah, that's, say, a, that's, like, an, yeah. that's a great way of putting it. Yeah, it's, it mm-hmm. deals with that. So how we can let our fear of of things that we don't know really impact our treatment of other people. Yeah. Captain Picard is quoting another fictional character who we never meet, but he's he's quoting someone named uh, Judge Aaron Satie, and the full quote is, With the first link, the chain is forged. The first speech censured, the first thought forbidden, the first freedom denied, chains us all irrevocably. It's my favorite Picard speech, I think. Even it's not his words, but it's my favorite delivery by him, I think in the whole series because it I think it really summarizes his passion for justice as a character in in the Star Trek context. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's the idea that like we can't we can't say like, you know, justice for for all except these few people, right? Mm-hmm. It's if it's not for everyone, it's not for anyone. And as folks who are, you know, passionate about making the world a more just place and, you know, who want to be a couple of social justice Klingon warriors, I think Matt and I just thought that a line from an episode that really highlights that topic would make a good a good title for our podcast. Yeah, I love it. I think it's great. Yeah. We, we struggled for a while to, to come up with a name. It's so and hard, we, partly we because couple. there are so many like Star Trek podcasts already. So many nerds on the internet <laughs> so that already have other good titles because they're smart so, people. So yeah, hopefully we won't find out. You know, six months down the line, that there already is a podcast called "With the First Link." Yeah, that'd be ironic. That and then be... they're like, "You're censoring us." Yeah, yeah, they're yeah. Like, no, whoops, <laughs> whoops. Anyways, anyway, that's so that's where it comes from. With the first link. Yeah, there's segments of that speech on YouTube. Like if you type in the phrase, you'll you can find that speech if people want to look it up before we get to that episode in yeah. like four years. Yeah, or or just wait four years and we'll get there, and then you can see we'll get it there as though you're watching it in real time. So yeah. there you go. Okay, let's uh, let's have a little check in today. Um, so again, much like last episode and probably many episodes in the future, we are. Still dealing very much with the COVID-19 pandemic. It's a difficult time for all of us. So let's talk a little bit about the ways in which we are taking care of ourselves. Matthew, what are some ways that you're taking care of yourself? Well, lately I've been, I'm going to give a shout out to another show I've been watching on Netflix called Shetland. And it is fantastic. It's probably one of the best TV series I've ever seen. And it's not unlike me to be watching these things because there's no spaceships or space travel. It's actually a police series that's set in the Shetland Islands between Scotland and Norway. But similar to the theme that we just talked about in describing the name of our own podcast and how prejudice can impact the course of justice, that's a lot of what the series is actually about. So the lead character is named uh, Detective Inspector Jimmy Perez. And uh, I love the character. I I should know the actor's name off the top of my head. I'll look it up later and splice it in here. Douglas Henshaw. The the series is brilliantly acted. Um, 
And it's all really about... It's policing, but not the way you see it in, like, I think, North American set police dramas. There's no, like, flashing badges or drawing guns on people, um, you know, or kind of barging into houses and kicking down doors. It's a lot more about, like, community-level policing. But what happens when really serious things like, you know, kidnappings, rapes, murders happen in a pretty small community? And how does how do the police deal with it? And rather than... Uh, kind of that brute force it's a lot more about like listening and empathy and um, you know celebrating people's consent and boundaries and um, but then also recognizing how many times the show points at us being hindered in our course of justice because we prejudicially ahead of time think that a person is guilty because they're an outsider to the community or they're a person of color um, or they're neurally divergent or whatever. Um, And so immediately people think that they are the ones who are a threat and it takes people who are asking better questions and having a wider uh, view of society to figure out like where like who is actually a perpetrator, who actually legitimately should be a suspect. And um, I think we we see this happen in our own society a lot. So there's there's kind of present day contemporary commentary on the series about like white supremacy and stuff like that too. Um, and so it's like, I've been watching that. Outside of Star Trek, I've been watching the series and people should check it out. It's awesome. I like it so much, I'd almost do a podcast on it as well. <laughs> <laughs> watching TV as a form of self-care, I think gets a really bad rap. And sometimes it is, you know, like some, sometimes, sometimes when I can say for myself, sometimes when I'm watching TV as a form of self-care, it's more of like an avoidance mechanism than a, sure. than a way of taking care of myself. But I also think that, yeah, like immersing yourself in another world and in stories that you find soothing is a really great way of taking care of yourself. Yeah, and I one of the like one of the things I love, this is so this is really important for me is is that yes, the fiction can be an escape and I think sometimes that's legitimately an important thing for us to be able to do. Um, but I want to be able to use it to recuperate and be inspired to then re-engage with the real world, but with the values and ideals that are celebrated in the shows we love. This is one of the reasons why I, when you contacted me about doing this, this show, that I was like, yeah, if we get to talk about real world issues through the lens of Star Trek, then I really want to do it. Because I think that these are important things to talk about, especially when it's looking back at our own society, which is one of the things that Star Trek always strove to do. Yeah, Totally. For my self-care, I've been, I have a, I've, I've sort of had an overarching way of taking care of myself, which is just to be really gentle with myself and kind of let what needs to happen, happen. So if I need to, you know, have a few days where I'm in bed until who knows what time in the afternoon, like, that's okay. If I need to eat food that maybe doesn't have all of the nutrients that one would require of a balanced diet, that's okay too, right? I can, I'm not sort of, I'm not going to judge myself. I'm not going to force anything onto myself. Recently, I've been having a good string of days. So I've been able to get outside in safe, socially distancing ways and, sorry, physically distancing, not socially distancing. I've been able to get outside. I've been able to move my body in ways that feel good. But I, I'm doing that with the knowledge that that's not going to last forever. And I know mm-hmm. that I am going to have hard patches coming up and I'm, I'm going to do my best to be okay with that. Even though like I know how good it feels right now to be in this good place, I'm not going to, I'm, I'm going to work really hard not to feel disappointed in myself when this good streak ends. So that's been my sort of theme of self-care for the last several weeks, I guess. I think that sounds very healthy. Thank you. Hey, I, I sat down and ate like a whole tub of ice cream the other day. No problem. So Good for you. <laughs> when, you talk, when you talk about eating food that's not exactly healthy at the moment, I gotcha. Yeah, no, I think, and you know, like like all food is healthy. All food, like the, the most important nutrient that all food has is calories. And it's, that's right. it's all, got, like that's what we all need. All the we time. need them to move. <laughs> if nothing else. To make us go. Yeah, we need those calories. So if your food has calories and if it's food, it has calories, then there you go. You're not starving. Yep. So. Yep. 
Yeah. Okay. So should we should we get into the episode? Yeah. So in this episode, the Enterprise crew get drunk on gravity while responding to a distress call from another another ship observing a collapsed star. Ruthie, what happens in the naked now? Oh my goodness, this episode is rough. It's yes, they get drunk on gravity. That's exactly what happens. So yeah, we start off. They're meeting up with the SS Tilkovsky, which is monitoring the collapse of a star. And we hear a really weird message that has caused the the Enterprise to go investigate. And it's like this really strange bedroom-voiced message that ends with, we're going to have a real blowout here, followed by the sound of the emergency hatch being blown open. Right. And, and, then, and then Worf's like, everyone on the ship is dead now. So, or like there are no, no more life signs on that ship. Right. Or if they are, they're in space now. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about what Troy is wearing, what Counselor Troy is wearing. Um, oh, yes. Because it's different from the previous episode. So It's not a uniform she's anymore. She's not wearing a uniform at all. So before she was wearing the skirt uniform, it was a uniform. Now she is wearing like a gray, I feel like it's made of like not stretchy material at all. It's like a full one piece, which I mean all of their all of their uniforms are one piece at this point. Um, I'm sure it's so comfortable. Yeah, because it, it looks really like... <laughs> It, it lo- the fabric looks like not stretchy. I don't. I can't explain why, but it's just like it looks like something that like a couch would be upholstered with or something. Like <laughs> um, you're wearing a couch. Yeah, it's she's it's kind of got these like wide leg ish pants, low cut on top, of course, and then she has this. It has this like green belt type thing sash. I don't even know what to call it. That thing that goes around her waist. It's not a belt. It's not holding her pants up. It just shows you where her hips are. Yeah, it's decorative. It's like Odo's belt in Deep Space Nine. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and then her hair. And I, I will say, as a child, I freaking loved Troy's hair. But it's like, it's up in this like, I don't know, Greco-Roman bun. It's a torpedo. It's a torpedo head. <laughs> is that what it is? That's what it looks like. When I always had to refer to it back in the day, her old hairstyle, I was like, she has like torpedo hair. It's like a, it's like a torpedo sticking <laughs> in your head. It must not be very comfortable. <laughs> oh my god! And it's got like beads in it. It's like yeah, it, it's quite. It's pretty amazing. It really is. Um, we'll have more. We'll have more comments on what people are wearing in I, this episode. <laughs> I can't. Yeah, I can't remember if it was her now or Kate Mulgrew referring to her. I think it might have been Kate Mulgrew now that I think about it. But one of them, one of the two actors mentioned the intense headaches they'd have at the end of the day because of how tightly bound their hair was all day while shooting. I And bet. then like crazy tension headaches afterwards. I think <laughs> that must have been Kate Mulgrew because I think actually Marina Sirtis was wearing like wigs for as as Deanna Troy. I don't think Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. Hair. I I don't know if it still hurts having it. It's because it's probably threaded into your hair. Yeah, anyway, I don't but, know how anyways. it work. But, yep. but, uh, but honestly, like... Her hair is just, and and I, the reason, one of the reasons I say like Greco-Roman, like it's interesting to me, like her last, her name is Troy, her name is Deanna Troy, and in the original Trek, like there are a lot of allusions to ancient Rome or ancient Greece, like they go to planets where they've got like togas or whatever. Was this a thing that Gene Roddenberry like had? I, maybe, I hadn't thought of it until now. <laughs> Yeah, I guess it's Troy with an I rather than Y or whatever. It is, but, I don't know if it's, but you know, yeah, that, that clever, clever disguise. Yeah, no one disc- will yeah. make the connection. We'll change the one letter. <laughs> well, I didn't make a connection if that's what it is this whole time. But yeah. Uh, but yeah. Yeah, anyway. All right. All right, so Riker, Data, uh, Jordy, and Tasha go to investigate. Yeah, everyone's frozen. Like frozen and and. And stat like wooden, not wooden, ice statues of people all over the place. Yeah, with like literal snow everywhere. Yeah, it looks like uh, like when when Yar was frozen in the previous episode. Oh so yeah, same thing. yeah. They yeah. must have had a bunch of that stuff left over, and they're like, <laughs> we need to we need to use it up. So they're like, we had to freeze one person, but we literally made forty liters of this stuff. So yeah, let's spray yeah, it all so over the place and make an episode out of it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Jordy, he's investigating the crew's quarters, and I just have to. <laughs> point out that on the closed captioning there's like a sound of this shower door that's like opening and then closing and then opening and then closing <laughs> the closed captioning called it rhythmic banging 
rhythmic banging so <laughs> they go to a party and there's some yeah. rhythmic banging and there's going some on rhythmic like- banging. but yeah so so he he finds this like shower door which is like jammed basically and he manages to open it and a fully clothed frozen person falls onto him and there and there, is this where you first hear the sound yeah there's the like infection a whoosh sound, a whoosh sound. Sh- yeah yeah so you have to know i too bad that doesn't happen now in real life when we're out in public Yes. That would be helpful. It would be helpful if, if viruses... Yeah, I, I maybe we should save as, as we get into this. There, As I was watching this, this uh, re-watching this episode, I found a lot of a lot of things reminding me of the current situation that we're in, of like yeah. not being able to contain a virus. And being careful of touching people. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, so everyone on this ship is dead. The away team goes back to the Enterprise and they go through like a full decontamination in the transporter. Crusher scans them all and everyone is fine except like they like nothing's showing up on her medical equipment except Jordy is like perspiring and being super rude. Yeah, he gets really aggressive. Yeah. Jordy like, makes a mean drunk. He's one of those people you don't want to bring out to parties because yeah. they just end up being really grumpy. Yeah. So she's like, okay, you stay in sick bay. And he's like, ugh, fine. And then uh, Riker, like, has some memory of someone at one point showering with clothes on and is like, Data, find this. Find this. Yeah, it's such an obscure thing. Like, you think that would be more like, hey, Data, once I remember an entire starship being killed by some kind of disease, can we look up historical references to that? But no, it's like, I think at one time in Starfleet history, someone showered with their clothes on. It's just like a strange historical reference. Yeah, I mean, he doesn't even say Starfleet history at this point. He's just like, like, Data looks at him and is like, sometime, somewhere. (laughs) And, And and he's like, yes, sometimes, somewhere. But yeah, so Jordy's not into staying uh, in sickbay. He leaves, um, but he leaves his communicator there. So I guess he can't be like tracked with when he doesn't have his communicator on. Yeah, I find that they always seem to go back and forth on that in Star Trek. It's like sometimes you can only be located with your communicator, but sometimes not. And I, yeah, anyways. Yeah. yeah. They made um, a point of that. Yeah, but but yeah, so he goes and he goes to hang out with his good friend Wesley Crusher, who is wearing a, a fairly normal outfit today, um, which will not be the case for the entire series. Yeah, it's not it's not the giant baggy orange creamsicle sweater like I thought it was. Yeah, because we just we we talked about this earlier before the episode started, and I mentioned mentioned the creamsicle sweater, and I'm just so used to seeing Wesley in that that I actually remember him in this episode being in that sweater, and I'm wrong. Yeah, yeah, Matt remembered him being in this episode having just watched this episode <laughs> yeah i did yeah i do still want that creamsicle sweater yeah. though i gotta see if anyone can make a make one or if they sell them yeah. somewhere but no he's wearing like a a really nice like gray sweater it's got a bit of a funny collar but yeah he looks it's very preppy it's got a preppy collar yeah and it does have slightly like space age seams around the shoulders anyway that's not what's important in this episode what's important is that he has a soundboard that he uses with like Picard ordering people places so he can imagine that Picard is ordering him to do things because he's still really bitter that he's not allowed on the bridge. Yep. And he's got his, uh, so he, Wesley has two pieces of key technology in this episode. There's the soundboard and then his repulsor beam. Yes. And, well, it's a tractor beam to start off with. Tractor beam to start off with, but also can, can you know, he's, he's experimenting with being able to use it as a repulsor beam. Yeah. But Jordy touches him. Yeah, on the neck. now... On the neck, and we know now that the infection, whatever it is, it's been passed on to young yeah. Wesley Crusher. Yeah, we hear this sound, and uh, yeah, I'm gonna find I'll, I'm gonna find a sound file for that, and I'll put it in here. Yeah, when yeah. we talk just about so, it, just I'm gonna so you cut know. it in. Yeah. <laughs> Tasha Yar finds Jordy in the observation lounge, and there's an interesting like. I think there's some interesting gender dynamics at play here because Tasha is the chief of security. Her job is to find Jordy. Her job right now is to find Jordy and take him to sickbay. And he is feeling really emotional, um, talking about wanting to be able to see like how she sees and he's never been able to do that. And he's like, help me, Tasha, help me. And she says to him, like, I'm chief of security. Like, that's, I, I'm not... I'm not the counselor. That's Troy's job. Yeah, it's not my job. That he like pleads with her some more. And then she's like, okay, you're right. Helping is more important. And I just, I feel like if that scene had been written or if, if 
they had a man as chief of security, I don't think they would have written that scene. I don't think. And later we see Riker in a sort of similar situation with Troy. And he's not like mean. He's not like unkind to her he feels he seems a little impatient but he's he's like okay we're gonna get you to security right away but in this scene it's like i mean she does take him to security but first she lets him like touch her face and she like holds hands with him and it's just just her way of being like you're right jordy i'm sorry for focusing on my job which was ship security when i should have been focusing on helping you as a friend because I am a woman and that's our primary role. Yeah, it's probably so awkward too because you think about it, like this whole crew is new. Yeah. And then their first mission after their one, like their second mission after they've just met up with each other is them all getting hammered. Yes. And so like, they don't know each other super well yet. I think some of this is like we're trying to, I think that's why they're saying like the naked now is that they're trying to strip down the characters to like a vulnerable underneath so that we can get to know their motivations and their struggles a little bit better because they come forward like, you know, Jordy's struggling with his blindness and Riker and Troy adding there's some tension in their dynamic there and everything else. And so um, I, I, they try, I think they tried it. I th- my impression is that what they're trying to do with this episode is to help us see underneath the characters but it is it is a, it's messy it's a messy episode. so messy yeah she finally finally gets him to to sick bay and crusher and troy are like we don't know what's wrong with him troy says he reads like he's intoxicated but he's not according to crusher's diagnostics her equipment nothing she's not reading any intoxication and then in the like most roundabout way possible data and riker realize that or where riker heard of someone showering in their clothes was in the first series of star trek <laughs> in the original series in yeah, the episode that. hundreds of years ago naked, i remember this naked time right naked time yep. yeah so yeah basically it was he was reading a book on all of the ships named enterprise i guess to prep for his role as first officer on enterprise d because all the ships with the same name are gonna have the same adventure yeah yeah exactly <laughs> so, so yeah so and and so they realized that this has happened before gravity made a weird water which made people drunk and they found a cure and picard is super sure that this is gonna solve the problem he's like don't worry about it doctor we're sending you the answer right now and she's like are you sure and he's like yep yep for sure i think before that he's like acting on the brain like alcohol yeah he's uh, (laughs) he's so like dismayed about the whole thing yeah so, th- okay, I have to say, it's, this episode is just all over the place. The scenes are, like, everywhere. There's, it's not like one doesn't flow nicely to the other. I'm trying to, like, nicely flow from one thing to the other. But I have to just be like, now Troy walks into her quarters and finds Tasha acting drunk there. I think what the struggle is here, like, if you look at the original series, usually it only ever really focuses on three characters. You've got Spock, Kirk, and McCoy. Yeah. And that's pretty much it. Yeah. Like all the all the episodes focus on them or a combination of them. And then everyone else is kind of sidecast. But this is the first time they really have like an ensemble cast. And I think they're trying they're trying really hard to make sure that everyone gets time in the episode. Later on, I found that like TNG episodes tend to they they rotate and try to center on one character or another. Yeah. Um. Usually ends up being a, like a lot of Picard and War for Picard and Data and that kind of thing. But I think in this episode, they're trying to cram everyone's intoxication and drunkenness into one episode, so it does seem to jump all over the place. Yeah. Yeah. It, and it, it's and also like the idea of this drunkenness is spreading, so they're going like from this part of the ship to another part of the ship. They can't have them all in one room because that's... Yeah, they got to show everyone touching each yeah. other. Yeah. Yep. So anyway, we move quickly to Troy going into her quarters and Tasha is in there like playing with her clothes. Yeah, just walks in. Just like, hey, I'm here. Yeah. I just she, came into your place. She's like, what? I need okay. your advice. And Troy's like, oh, of course, anything. But the advice she wants is fashion advice. And I love this scene. I love how firm Troy's boundaries are. Like she's just like, no. These clothes are not for you. (laughs) These are my clothes. You need to not be in here right now. Unfortunately, they touch hands. Maybe this is, you know, my my queerness just looking for something. But there to me, there's like a bit, a little bit of an undercurrent of like queerness in this scene. Just a little bit while Troy is being like, no, this is not okay. Leave. There's like a little bit of of like, well, what what could happen? What if what if it hadn't been data that Tasha had wanted? (laughs) Like, one of the things I was thinking about with this episode is that while everyone is kind of reduced to a vulnerable state through intoxication, nothing super creepy happens. 
And I really appreciate that. It's not like, like, even though this is probably the creepiest thing that happens is Tasha's just in her quarters when she gets there. Yeah, trying But when Troy's clothes. like, trying her clothes. But when Troy's like, hey, listen, like, you can't be here. She leaves. Yeah. But no one is like, you don't, I don't feel like unsafe or cringy at any point in the episode. Like, no one really violates anyone's consent, especially like sexually, given that everyone's intoxicated. Yeah. I don't think they would go there with Star Trek anyway. But I think that that is an important thing that it doesn't happen like that. Like, no one, no one is like imposing themselves on other people and like crossing those kinds of boundaries. And I, I appreciate that. Yeah, I do too. I think it's an important, like, when you're talking about, you know, where it was, the characters are really like, we're, we're seeing their, underside when they when their judgment is totally impaired and they don't have like their filters on and i think that in real life alcohol is often used as an excuse for certain behaviors could be assault could be like making racist comments in my past life as a residence coordinator oh my goodness i heard that excuse often yeah like no that's not who like like no i'm i'm i was just drunk so i didn't have i wasn't thinking straight but like the idea that when you go with on all of these characters when we look through their filters and look at like what who they really are none of them were like doing bad things to each other that wasn't what anyone right. wanted to do yeah and people might have made regrettable choices but it wasn't that they felt like they had been violated yes yes right? and i think that's that's an important distinction yes the perhaps the first regrettable choice however is made by one of our sober characters when troy informs picard that tasha is infected and he decides to correct her and tell her that it's not an infection. She's like, I don't care. It's an intoxication, whatever. But he doesn't do anything. <laughs> He's just like, okay. Unfortunately, and I think we'll find, I, I see it more often now, especially that I've been watching the show with more women, is that people point out that Troy often gives advice that is unheeded. Mm. And it's super unfortunate given that she's on the ship for that role. But she, and we'll see this in coming episodes as well, is that she'll often give out information and everyone's like, ah, I don't think so. Nah, probably not. And you're like, she's like, I can see their mind. Yeah. <laughs> you're still not listening yeah. to me. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's, I, I want to comment also, like, it's so great that whoever in the 80s, decided we're going to have a member of the bridge crew is going to be the ship's counselor. Like we're going to have, that's going to be senior staff position on this ship is going to be a mental health professional who. Which is awesome. Like that's, that's awesome. so amazing. But yeah, she's yeah. like, she, and, and it's in this case, it's not even like advice. She's like, this person has been infected and he, and Picard's like, huh, weird. And carries on. No, and I mean, you know, I'm looking at this through the lens of COVID-19 happening right now and like no no contact tracing no quarantining no isolation just just like oh geez seems like our chief of security has had the equivalent of a snootful a snootful yeah the, I, yeah the ship definitely struggles with social isolation yeah and social distancing yeah. for sure yeah, yeah. for <laughs> sure they, this is not not something that uh the writers knew how to deal with even if they don't know how it spread at this point like they know kind of what's going on. You think everyone would have been locked in quarters and like at this point everything would kind of be shut down. Something. Yeah, but, but no, yeah. they're they're taking no precautions at all. Um like Tasha walks down the hall and makes out with a random guy. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Wes is now in sick bay. He shows up acting drunk. Yeah, so we can see that he's he's got this. Yeah. It's so hot in here. He's all sweaty. <laughs> so hot in here. That, that seems funny. to be the telltale like <laughs> sign. Yeah, yeah. People get people get sweaty. Um, and then, so this is a short, seemingly like not important conversation, but it ends up being important that like this, they're downloading information from the Tsiolkovsky on this star that's collapsing. Mm -hmm. And it's taking a while because the Tsiolkovsky was like, took months and months to collect this information. So I guess, I don't know, they can't, I don't know how data transfer works on these ships, but it's taking. The, the Wi-Fi signal sucks. Yeah. You know, they're in space. It's not like they have. Yeah. Yeah. By a star. A lot of interference. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Static -y. Like, what? <laughs> Can they try to phone each other? Can you hear me now? <laughs> but the but they if if the star were to collapse right now, they would be able to outrun any debris on half impulse power. So which, which is true. Actually, I'm glad they, as a space nerd, I'm glad that they bring this up because a lot of times when like stars are going to blow up in Star Trek, they're like, we got to get away at warp speed. But I was like, but supernovas in space are not super luminal. Like they don't go that fast. <laughs> they, don't, so they don't travel at the speed of light. You can, 
No, you can really outrun yeah. things at yeah. like some light speed. So I'm glad that they say that because later on they forget it. They're always trying to run away from stars yeah. and they blow up. They're like, go to warp. Yeah. So we go to engineering now and, and Picard, we hear Picard order the chief engineer to the bridge and the assistant chief engineer to sick bay. But sounds suspicious. <laughs> it's just Wesley using his soundboard to get the grown-ups out of engineering. To basically take control of the ship. Yeah. He's he's leading a mutiny, yeah. but with a smile. Yeah. And some charm. And and just it's just his own mutiny. <laughs> he's not yeah. leading anyone. It's one. He's leading himself in mutiny. Yeah, yeah so the the engineer shows up in on the bridge and she's like, Alright, I'm here and Picard's like, what What are you doing here? And then over the intercom, we hear Wesley say, or we hear Captain Picard's voice from Wesley's soundboard saying that he's giving command to acting Captain Crusher. He's like, dawn's a new day for the Enterprise. Yeah, a new day in which a dessert course will precede and follow every meal, including breakfast. I've been doing that a lot lately, to be honest. Uh, fair enough. I mean... Yeah, rules don't matter anymore yeah, right now, I yeah. don't think. Also, like... Wesley, just give it a few years and you can have as much dessert as you want. When your parents are feeding you, it's harder. But when you feed yourself, you can eat what you want when you want. Yeah, plus, don't they say that, like, all dessert on the ship is still nutritionally healthy anyway? Like, from the replicator or whatever? I don't know. Like, even if you eat bad stuff, it's still good for you? Probably. It probably doesn't matter. Basically, Wesley takes over engineering, um, along with the assistant chief engineering who never made it to sickbay because Wesley touched him and he's drunk. I think it's fired after this episode. Probably. I don't think we yeah, see yeah. either of those characters either ever again. <laughs> and that like Worf reports that there are weird things happening all over the ship. There's like a metaphysics tutorial going on somewhere. Data starts to recite a dirty limerick, but Picard shuts him off. And then then Picard realizes that he should send his chief of security to sick bay. So he, he orders Data to go find her in her quarters and take her to sick bay. But, uh, she decides she doesn't want to go to sick base. She wants to sleep with Data instead. Yeah, fully functional. Yeah, um, it's. I mean, it's. It, I I love that scene for a lot of reasons. Maybe because it's an iconic TNG scene. So iconic. Apparently, the purpose of the scene, like when they put it in, apparently it was to show that she wasn't gay. Oh, interesting. Okay. Like they wanted to, you know, we've got this chief of security who's a woman, and she's got short hair, and she's tough, but. Don't worry, everyone. She's still into dudes. How do you feel about that? I, I don't. I feel like it would have been great if she had been gay. Like that would have been yeah. amazing. I think. Like I like the scene. I think that they both play it really well. They they look like they're having fun with it. Like as as actors, I think Brent Spiner does a great job of like looking nervous, but like you know he's not like scared in that you know he's being violated. He's just like. Like, whoa, what, what's, I, I'm fully functional, but I've never done this before. Um, yeah, I, I think, yeah, that's trying to, what I, was, I was trying to allude to earlier, like the scene still feels safe. Yeah, yeah, Despite absolutely. you know what happens. And I, I, I don't know if they stumbled on that, if it was just kind of accidental, that it, it ended up not being awkward or, or weird or feeling dangerous, but it, 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 it worked kind of. But like, like you said, if there's sort of this underlying motivation to, to ensure that the character is, is straight, I would say like, and your comment on this is more valid than mine, but my experience with watching shows like this is that when on this, like on the diversity quotient or thread, um, like racial diversity is still more accepted by these narratives than like gender or sexual diversity. Like we only yeah. seem to be getting into that territory now with like discovery. Yeah, it it wasn't something that was really, I don't think, on the radar of the creators of Star Trek and like, no, or, or I guess if it was on the radar, they wanted to pull it back in Definitely the other direction. <laughs> so yeah. we also learn a bit more of Tasha's history here. She talks about how she was abandoned at age Five and she learned to hide from rape gangs. So she was clearly in, sort of casually just mentioned there the idea that there were gangs of people assaulting others. And and what she wants is pleasure and joy. And I I also I can't I I like that too because I think mm-hmm. the idea of like she is like she she wants it doesn't read to me as though like she's traumatized and this is her way of like dealing with that trauma it reads to me as like she has dealt with that trauma or that that difficult experience that she had but but she has taken control of her sexuality and so when she wants to have sex she has sex with another consenting adult because she's in control of her own sexuality 
I don't think it's hyperbolic to to say that the show implies that she has been a victim of sexual assault mm-hmm. um, because she does mention that that is like the life that people grew up in there. And there are flashback scenes that she has where she's like scraped and like shows signs of physical harm. So I, I think that that is okay to to read into the character's history. Yeah. Yeah, but it's it it's not like it's not like she's broken because of it. Like she's no, yeah, she's definitely, a survivor yeah. of assault. Yes, she has like she lives with this experience, and she is also a full person. Yeah, like, yeah, it's it's stuff like that. Like when you start kind of digging into Yar, that I'm regretful that that we don't get to spend more time with this character, yeah. and that they didn't get fleshed out yeah. more. Because um, I think I think she would have been cool. I liked Yar. I thought I she was cool. It, yeah. It's it's unfortunate yeah. that the character is so short lived. Yeah. Literally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So and and of course we get uh, Data's iconic line that he is. She asks if he's fully functional and he says yes and he is programmed in multiple techniques. Multiple techniques. So whoever was creating data knew (laughs) that this would come up. This would come up. Well, it's, it's, you know, if if you try to create an android that's, that's modeled on, on humanity or, or on humans, like sexuality is a big part of our lives. And so it's gotta be, that would have to be a part of you. Not just creating like sort of, you know, an anatomically, neutral character like that has no sexual organs or isn't functional or isn't like you know that's no good so that's not what they did yeah yeah all right well i mean wesley and the assistant chief have just made a mess of engineering and wesley is using his tractor beam now as a repulsor beam to keep everyone out Riker and the the chief engineering are trying to find a way to get in there but Riker's interrupted because troy goes to to goes to him and calls him bill which is kind of funny and basically that she she she's been she's been infected now and she's she goes to him for help and he's his response this is what i was sort of talking about before with contrasting his response with tasha's response to jordy that he's like what is it and when she shows that she is that she has this intoxication he's like all right let's go to sick bay he carries her which is a little funny but he's like all right let's go to sick bay he doesn't sit and talk with her about her feelings but yeah he so he goes to sick bay he drops her off there he goes and tells crusher that she's in there and like weirdly like touches crusher's neck yeah they kind of they have to kind of go out of their way to get the characters to have an excuse to touch each other because they're not that touchy usually in the rest of the show you know it's they can't do it like on their arm because they have sleeves it has to it has to be skin to skin contact i guess yeah i guess yeah so it's it's a little strange they don't have just like coughing water droplets on each other speaking moistly What actually? One of the things I just wanted to touch on something else that happens, and, and I don't know how to feel about this exactly, but is it data that seeks out Yar? Or is it Yar that seeks out data? Yar seeks out data. It, well, it's kind of weird because he goes to find her to take her to sick bay, but she's like, and he's like, "Why aren't you in uniform?" And she's like, "I got changed out of my uniform for you." So it's implied that right. she knew he was coming. Yeah, and so there's like three examples of when this happens in the yeah. episode where like Troy seeks out Riker Crusher seeks out Picard in a bit here um, and then Yar seeks out Data in a way so you have like these three uh, women who like when they're intoxicated go and like seek out a man yes. and and I'm like uh, I don't know about that I was like because it, it, especially because I think they're still trying to imply that these men are like irresistible and the women on the show want them they're in command it's like the top three commanding men male officers on the ship uh, in order, Picard, Riker, and Data. So it's like, okay, all right. Yeah, it's... And also, like, what you were saying about the idea that when you get down to what really makes these characters tick, like, this is what we get. And on three women, which is all all of the women on the show, on these three characters, that's what they wanted. They all needed a man. They all needed a man. And I think that many women would argue that this this is not their experience when dealing with intoxicated men. Uh, it's usually maybe men being a little bit more aggressive in return. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, around, totally. But, so, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, it's, it's not... It's really not great, especially, you know, especially the, the Troy and Riker one, because she it's like she just falls apart. I want to say is that this dynamic between them gets, I feel, much strongerly written and in the future. Yes. Um, between them. And I think it's a really, I love their dynamic. I think they're still trying to figure it out in this episode. So, yeah, 
it, it becomes quite shallow, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah, it's really, it's really too bad. But anyway, in sickbay, Crusher tells Riker that the the cure that she got from the the files from the old Enterprise doesn't it doesn't work. She tried it on Jordy, yeah. and he was still talking about not being able to see the way she sees. So it doesn't. Everyone's work. got their hangover cure. This yeah. one didn't work, or yeah. whatever. And then she's like, "Wait, you touched Troy, and then you touched me. Now we're gonna be infected." I have to quarantine you. And it's like, like the infection is spreading. We've got community transmission now. Quarantining, right? Like, you, yes, sure, you do need to quarantine Riker, but you need to quarantine a lot more people right now. And yeah. it, it really reminded me of like politician statements in recent history that it's like this urgency that's like way too late. Right, yeah. And then given the context of, of how we've all been made so hypersensitive to yeah. contact with each other lately and social distancing and everything, you look at that episode and you're like, man, you're all so bad at this. Yeah. And this is supposed to be in the future. Yeah, you know? like, but it shows just how much inexperience society actually has with this kind of thing. Absolutely. That even like, you know, these creative minds writing this episode. Yeah, they, they still couldn't come up with like, oh, let's put some barriers. Like Riker is standing so close to the chief of engineering when they're trying to figure out Wesley's repulsor beam thing. And he knows that he's been exposed because Crusher just told him. But he's standing so close to you're her. Like, you're like, geez, two meters, Riker, yeah. two meters. <laughs> Stand back. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, Picard like tries to reason with Wesley to get control of the ship. But instead, he just gets him really excited about being drunk. You mean I'm drunk? <laughs> yeah, like he's clearly trying to do that whole co- congenial thing that he talked about with uh, with Riker in the first episode. That he's like, yep. he's like, that's a very mature piece of reasoning there. And he's like, cool, I'm drunk. I feel bad drunk, but good yeah. at the same time. <laughs> Is that why I feel so funny? Yeah. yeah. Um, and then the star starts to collapse. Basically, like I think Picard wants to get a tractor beam on the Tsiolkovsky so they can leave. But he can't move the ship because because it's Wesley disabled. has taken control of the ship's yeah. like have how to move it and it does that cool like kind of noise when Worf tries to yeah the noise we want to I want to put on my laptop yeah. we keep bringing this up in episodes it's fun <laughs> when things don't when things don't work yeah yep. yeah so so they need to get out of there Wesley manages to get a tractor beam on the Tsiolkovsky, um, which is what Picard wanted to do and then Data shows up on the bridge and now he's drunk. Absolutely zero attempt to explain why this would affect him as well. Yeah, it's it's one of those things where I'm like, I'm okay with it. You know, <laughs> like, it's true. It probably really doesn't make sense. But they kind of, I mean, in a few episodes, they talk about Data, maybe not so much as an android, but more as like a cybernetic life form, right? So he's got, uh, that he does have like, I, I guess, parts that are similar to... Yeah, like he talks to, about... He's got, he's got fluids and fluid stuff. that if you prick him, he will also leak. Yeah, I guess that fluid is in his brain. And so I suppose like if if he can be intoxicated, I don't know. They don't really bring it up again later, but I was fine with it. I'm like, cool, I whatever. feel also, I feel like they saw Brent Spiner being able to act drunk and they were like, okay, we need to put that in the show. Yeah, it's hilarious. Like, it's really funny. We can't have this without without having this, like you doing that. So. so yeah, then Crusher shows up and then, yeah, this is what we see. So now she's hitting on Picard in the writing room and talking about how a woman has needs. And it's a little weird that she's showing <laughs> signs of being drunk, but Riker, like, isn't yet. Like, Riker is, I don't know, maybe a bigger, bigger person. He can hold his alcohol a bit better than she can. Yeah, Riker, Riker holds out kind of the very end. He's, he does a good job being stoic yeah. in, his, in his drunkenness. Yeah, but I have to say Gates McFadden plays this really well, her, her drunkenness. She does a great <laughs> job of, like, going between, like, what she knows she needs to talk about and what she, like, wants to talk about. And she's like, oh, there's so much I want to say. Oh, but we don't have time for that. It's so yeah, funny. Yeah, and Picard, Picard's all raspy. He's like, no, 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 no. She's like, it's hilarious. She's like unzipping her uniform yeah, and stuff. She does it's a like, great okay. job with it. I love it. Um, anyway, then she like leaves and waves goodbye to Picard. He waves back and Worf's like, oh, geez. And he like, he tells Riker, he's like, FYI, Picard and Data are infected as well. 
<laughs> yeah, we don't get to see a drunk Klingon yet. I guess no, no one really wants to touch Worf, so he's Aww, he's good. People don't often walk up to Worf and be like, hey, man, they, what's they're up? Not, no one's so. going to just, like, touch him on the neck the way. No, there's still a lot of, like, uh, maybe some Klingon prejudice going yeah, on there. You're like, yeah. uh, too close to a Klingon. But, yeah, yeah anyways. So, so no one's touching Worf. That's what we find out from this yeah, episode. Yeah, yeah. He's safe. <laughs> um... So yeah, the the ship like really needs to get away. There's like a, a fragment of the star is hurtling towards them, and they could get away at half impulse power, but they can't. They don't have that the either. They got nothing because the assistant chief engineer, who Wesley points out is an adult, has taken all of the control chips out of the wall and is playing with them like they're. Because the, the chief engineer comes up and she's like waving. She's like, these are control chips. And it's like such a hilarious yeah. scene. It's so good. So she like, she's, she, she says to the bridge, she's like, there's no way I can put them back fast enough. Um, but Wesley points out that Data can do that. So mm-hmm. Riker brings, he hoists Data up and like brings a drunken Data into engineering. But he actually realizes that even he can't do it fast enough. He can do. He- and he's so he's so like straight faced about it too. He's like, yeah. "That'll take slightly more time than we have, sir." Yeah, like he's he's just like, "Like, can you do it?" No, <laughs> no, nope. no emotion here, nothing. And so what they realize they they need they need another like just one more minute. And so Wesley realizes that they can use that tractor beam. They can use their own tractor beam as a like as a repulsor beam like he did with his little one to push off of the Tsiolkovsky and give them just that extra minute before the the star fragment hits them. And they imply that this this should normally be really difficult, but Wesley's a genius, so he just he gets it. Yeah, he's, he's good. drunken Wesley pushes some buttons and smarter boom. than everyone. Which is yeah. like, and I, I think we talk about this a little bit. We talked about it in, in the first one, either the first or second episode. But like, this is a possibly a bit of a misstep on the part of the writers to make Wesley like so smart. It didn't really endear him to adult fans. It may have endeared him to child fans. I know I liked Wesley a lot when I was a kid. I loved Wesley. I definitely related to that yeah. because I, I felt like I didn't feel like. I was smarter than everyone around me, but I did feel like I was underestimated because of my age. Right. And so I appreciated that the show gave him opportunities like this. Yeah, yeah. I think it's interesting. Like it, it's, it, it is in some ways a, a it, it did turn a lot of adults off of Wesley. Like they, I think Will Wheaton got a lot of like, I think he got a lot of like hate mail and stuff, which is really unfortunate and probably. Yeah, it did sound like he got some flack. Yeah. And yeah. which is ridiculous because he didn't write it he, he wasn't like no no make my character better than everyone but it is you know it's not necessarily the most realistic thing that a, a drunken 14 year old is able to do this when like no adult there is i don't know i mean not to say that 14 year olds aren't capable of doing things that adults can't do like they definitely are capable and and you know being a being younger and and having less experience sometimes means that you're not as cynical and like just assuming things won't work. So maybe maybe it is realistic to say that Wesley was able to do that when no one else was. It's in continuation with Wesley's character that he always thinks outside of the box. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. that he can think of, of ways to solve issues that other people can't. And that's what makes him so good at what he does. Mm-hmm. Until, you know, he realizes that the box itself might be Starfleet. Yeah. But we'll get to that in a future episode. Yes, we will, yeah. Yes. Crusher has found a cure. Thank goodness. With no time to spare. She, Hypo everyone, it's it's an instant cure. Yeah, Let's do it. Yeah, she she tries it on Jordy, and actually, I think I feel like Lavar Burton's acting is really good in in this part as well. That you can see him like become cognizant and become aware of what's going on, and be like, oh, what was in that? I feel so much better now. <laughs> Thank you. And like it it it's a it's subtle, but but very clear. Much like Brent Spiner's acting when Picard hypos him. And he just, like, in an instant switches from drunken data to sober data. Yeah. It's just a sight to behold. Holy cow. It also made me think about how jarring instant sobriety would be. (laughs) You know, as someone who has been drunk on occasion in my life, if all of a sudden you're just instantly sober, that would be hard. I think that would be a hard thing to have happen to you. (laughs) Yeah. You're just, like, you're hammered and then all of a sudden you're not anymore. You'd be like, oh, my God. Anyways. Here I am. No headaches, though. That would be nice. Yeah, maybe, yeah, hopefully. We don't know what happens <laughs> yeah. with, with gravity hangover. Anyways, Wesley's plan works. The Hyukovsky, they sacrifice it because it gets collides with this core fragment and rips it to pieces. Yeah, we don't know if and... they got all of that information they needed, but 
Well, I, and certainly none of the people, I guess those bodies will be considered buried in space or whatever. I guess so, yeah. And uh, And then they, they're able to get away in time. Hooray! Hooray! Tasha tells Data that it never happened. And yeah, I think this ties in with what you're saying. Like, she might be a little bit, like, not pleased or not proud of her decision. But she's not, like, it wasn't, like, she wasn't violated. She doesn't feel like she did something wrong, necessarily. She's just like, oh my gosh, I don't I don't want to now have to deal with having, my, you know, Data's going to now think he's my boyfriend or something like that. Yeah. They So in future episodes, they, you know, they refer back to this experience between her and and data on a number of occasions uh especially like in measure of a man which we'll see in the future but they refer they refer back to this one but in a positive way Mm -hmm. that you know they kind of imply that tasha you know accepts that this happened and and that they have a connection as a result of it is that fair to read back into the character like that especially when the character and the actor isn't in the show anymore yeah i that's a good question i feel like it's okay i think in television, sort of more broadly, I think sex is kind of quick way of establishing intimacy between two characters. Mm-hmm. So the idea, I think, is that because they slept together, they have a connection that neither of them has with anyone else on the ship. Mm-hmm. And I mean, but also, you know, it's it's possible to have a physical a physically intimate moment with someone, a physically intimate connection with someone without having an emotionally intimate connection. And that's certainly what it looked like here. But I do think like, you know, it's interesting, even in Encounter at Farpoint, like when a Q freezes Tasha and like Data catches her, there's, this is definitely like me reading things into this, but I, there was a part of me that was like, wow, look at how lovingly Data like catches her and puts her down. And I think like that's all on me, but like it's really easy to see a connection between those two characters if you, if you want it to be there. Yeah, maybe it's something they would have fleshed out had the character stayed with the show. Yeah. Like that maybe it would have been Data's first love or first serious relationship or something. Yeah. You know, it would, it might have been interesting to, to look into because, you know, they they try one more time with data and like a romantic relationship, no, and that's, that was I, a rough one too. Uh, yeah, I thought it's 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 interesting. They kind of explore how that will work, but it, it would have been I don't know. It would have been something that might have been cool to look at in the future. Yeah, but. yeah. I think you know, I, and I mean, it's also one thing that I kind of like about it is that it clearly means something to data. It doesn't like whether whether it meant that to Tasha you can sort of debate but like and I, I kind of like it because it's a bit of a, a flip of um, a fairly common trope that like a woman sleeps with a man and he's her first and then she you know mistakes that physical connection for emotional intimacy and then she's like all in love with him even though that wasn't how he felt so it's a bit of a reverse on that so like in this mm-hmm. case, a man sleeps with a woman and she's his first. It's, I, I think that's what we're supposed to assume. Yeah. And and I, I mean, I will say, like, I don't think that, I mean, I, I think that virginity is a social construct and I, I don't think that, like, your first has to be, like, the most earth-shattering experience that it's sometimes made out to be. For, for many, it's not. <laughs> yeah. But I think, like, this experience was was important to Data. And he does respect Tasha and that he doesn't like bug her about it or or try to make it into something that she never wanted it to be. He And, and clearly she's a little embarrassed by it. I think probably she's, you know, it, it is a little strange when someone shows up to take you to sick bay and you're there and you're like a shirt that doesn't quite cover the bottom of your breasts and a skirt that has slits going all the way up the sides and... <laughs> You're like, yeah. I, I changed for you. Like, I think that whole thing is embarrassing. I don't know if like, if it's the, the sleeping together that's embarrassing for her or if it's the, just the whole, the way in which she went about it, that she's a little bit like, well, that's, that's not how I want to conduct myself with my colleagues. Yeah. And it, it kind of flows into the next point here that Picard makes, which makes the tone here confusing, I found a little bit, because then he says, that he thinks that this is a fine crew if we can avoid temptation. Yeah. And you're like, do you mean sexual temptation? Yeah, what, what was the mean, temptation? Like, what like, is, 
it's it's almost a bit of like like sex negative sex shaming yeah. kind of end to the show but weirdly like moralizing like like crusher could will be a great doctor if she can keep her hands off of me kind of thing like yeah and it it just feels like the characters like that that comment by him is kind of out of touch with the themes of the rest of the episode which i thought were a lot more about like just trying to show what underneath like the characters are struggling with yeah so for him to just kind of pass it off but that's kind of picard picard is he does kind of take this more hard moral line uh, in the beginning of the series is a lot more like cut and dry, like black and white, judgmental, like that's sort of Picard at the onset. So that it doesn't surprise me so much that he'd say something like yeah. that. But it is it is weird. It's it is sort of out of step with the rest of the the rest of the episode, I think. It doesn't I, I feel like they were looking for a way to sum up the whole episode and that doesn't for me. Because it no, it doesn't it has for me nothing either. Nothing to do with temptation. It wasn't like they all went to a party and got drunk and then had to fly the ship somewhere and couldn't. Like they were all infected, and that it, it was that was beyond their control. And then their behavior was was weird, but like in line with that infection. It reminded me of like the old '80s cartoons, and they'd have a PSA at the end of the episode. Yeah, yeah. And it had nothing to do with the episode. Like <laughs> He Man would be punching a bunch of monsters, and then at the end, he's like, "Don't talk to strangers." And you're like, "What? How does that have anything to do with yeah, this episode?" Yeah, yeah, so yeah. Uh, it kind of felt like that, where you're like. I don't think temptation was actually, like, trying to deal with temptation was the theme here. I mean, that was his experience, I guess, with Crusher. Mm -hmm. So maybe he's speaking to that particular, like, his own experience in the ready room. And I guess that makes sense. He's like, if if I had given into that moment, like, we'd be in trouble now or would have damaged the relationship. But, like, uh, yeah, as a summation to the episode, it doesn't really fit. Yeah. And that's Naked and Now. And that's the Naked Now, yeah. Um, any any last thoughts, Matt, on, on this episode? Or... I, you know, TNG was still fighting its footing at this point. There's definitely worse episodes of Star Trek, for sure. Yeah. There's some, some good moments in here, ones that, that I, I think, I, I think the show embraced in a good way. I think that the, the history between Data and Yar Mm -hmm. plays well to Data's evolution in later episodes. And so I think they treat it well, I feel. I don't know if it's fair to, to Tasha. I, I like to think so. Again, it would be, stuff like that would be clearer if the character was around longer. I've mentioned this to you before. I don't think I said it on the podcast earlier. Like I have seen all of the episodes of Star Trek, but I've never watched them in order. So right. I, I'm curious to see how I react to to that as the episodes go on. Yeah, okay, yeah. that's fair. So, yeah, so we'll 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 put a little pin in that one and come back to it as as these characters develop. It also, I think, um, you know, it brings up some of the this episode brings up some of the complexity between like Crusher and Picard, which is something that like gets explored sometimes and other times not but they they're they have a history like he worked with her husband and they will i don't think this is a spoiler to say they will have like a very close friendship like they they will have a very deep love for for each other that yes that we're seeing various dimensions to that in this episode yeah they, and again so it does it does lay some foundation, although in a shakily, maybe kind of yeah. sloppy way, but it's uh, to, to themes that are going to get picked up later. Yeah, yeah, for yeah. sure. Um, yeah, the first season of, of TNG is a bit, it's a, it has a bit of a rocky start. It has some great things that I think, you know, might get sort of, you might miss later on, but it also had some issues that it needed to work out. Also, like an interesting choice for the, like this, basically the second episode that they did they had all the characters not acting like themselves. I think it was definitely a risk um, yeah. to, to try to break the characters down so early. But I think it also it also was try to try to set some things that, that might the characters might be dealing with in the future. They don't really go back. I mean, Jordy talks about his the the pain that he's feeling and not being able to to see like everyone else, as he says in the yeah. in the episode. That doesn't get revisited very much. It doesn't, and you know, actually, that was something that I found really, really odd. That like, I almost wondered if that was just their way of showing that he's not himself, because it's like he's never talked about this before. So maybe him talking about it now could be a clue as to what's. Anyway, I don't know. Yeah, it's it's one of those other themes that later on we'll touch. On, there's a couple episodes where I would want to touch on this, but I that they kind of I think the writers in general just be, because Jordy has a visor. There is a visual cue that automatically checks off the box that he is represented as having 
a visual impairment, uh, living with a disability, and so we don't need to talk about it at all because mm-hmm. it's it's never really discussed. Like, in, in there's a couple episodes where like disability as a theme comes up, and Jordy as a character is not given any dialogue on it at all. Yeah, and you're kind of like, what? It's it's almost. I think the show almost sometimes forgets that Jordy has a disability and so it's just kind of never really brought up again which i think is a missed point but yeah yeah i feel like they're as with many things in this episode they were really just like they were still really figuring it out they hadn't yeah figured it out yet in terms of rocky starts there's the next episode oh, that we'll be talking yeah, about. Yeah, so, so if you want maybe, to touch on that a little, maybe bit, a little bit before, a little bit of a heads up. So the next episode is called uh, Code of Honor. Um, it is a very racist episode. Matt and I are still kind of figuring out how we're going to tackle that. Um, if you are watching Star Trek for the first time, or if you like have seen some episodes but not all of them. That's not an episode that I would recommend. I don't think anything like of great importance happens in that episode that like you have to know to like move forward with the series and you see a bunch of like racist uh, anti-black stereotypes, which is not cool. Yeah, one of the episodes that hasn't aged very well. Yeah. But, and, and I think we'll probably talk about this next week too, but I, I believe that you had mentioned that some of the cast had actually requested that this episode be taken out of syndication. Yeah, and I think like that's totally fair (laughs) like yeah it's not you know it's not the sort of thing where it's like oh well no we need to see this so that we know our history so that we don't repeat it it's just it's just bad anyway so for next week we're probably going to do things a little bit different we're not going to talk about the episode in as much detail because we don't want to talk about racist stereotypes in that much detail um but Mm -hmm. we are going to talk about some of the problems with the episode and and why it's as rough as it is but thank you so much for listening this has been with the first link if you liked what you heard consider leaving us a stellar five-star rating and review on apple podcasts or your podcast provider of choice our cover art was created by nathan nunn and you can find more of his work at nathannunn.ca our theme song is an amazing adventure by flame lion studio you can follow us on Instagram at firstlinkpod or send us an email at firstlinkpod at gmail.com to let us know what you thought of the entire cast getting drunk off of gravity. I'm Ruthie. And I'm Matthew. Wear your mask. <laughs>